they're waiting for something that never comes. And so this ship seemed to be looking for a place that it never found. Once it finds it, whatever's in that room that leads to nowhere, they will come out. I'm here with Lynn Buchanan. Lynn, welcome back, my friend. Oh, thanks for inviting me back. Yeah. I'm super intrigued by this. So today we're going to talk about the Rendlesham Forest incident, which was an alleged incident that was recorded actually by Colonel Holt. There's an audio record of the tape he recorded of his impressions. But what's interesting about this is that on Bastille Day, July 14th, 1986, you actually did a remote viewing of this incident. And I think this is well before this story broke or became public. So you wouldn't really have had any idea about it. We have the actual session of this remote viewing that we just pulled from the CIA website. It's completely declassified, but it was an operational session. So I don't think you had any of this in your personal records. So why don't you just kind of First, just talk a little bit about what was the genesis of this tasker? Why were you tasked on this particular target? Oh, on these, we were never told why it was tasked, never told what it was. In fact, I had never heard of the Rendlesham Forest incident until I got feedback on this target. 
So I was tasked completely blind. I was given some coordinates and said, this is target number, whatever number it was, describe it. And I'm was, assuming it was target 136649, but I'm just guessing. There's something at the very uh, bottom. Something at the very bottom. Yeah, 136649. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And when you got the feedback, did they tell you who the customer was or why you were looking at this? No, uh, no. Okay. All right. So let's start from the top. You have well, let me go remote viewer. Is Lynn Buchanan. Interviewer was Ed Dames, ED. There were nobody sitting in on it, observing the thing, the date of it, the starting time, and the site number is 0178. I'm, I'm not sure. That's part of their bookkeeping. I was doing controlled remote viewing instead of the other types of remote viewing. And, and real quick for the audience, what were these? Extended remote viewing is where you sort of lie back and visualize. ARP is associative where you have a target that is hard to view. And so you associate that with targets that are easy to view. And when the viewer gets the right simple target, you know, the targets are wildly different. And when they describe one target, they know that the answer is the thing that's associated with that target. So, so as an example, it would be like, I want to know if the stock market's going to go up or down tomorrow. Up or down. If, yeah. if I see the Eiffel Tower, that means up. If I see a water buffalo, that means down. Yeah. If somebody is good at doing that, like for me, I'm extremely good at smells, okay, and tastes. So if it goes up tomorrow, we're going to give you some iced tea to drink. If it goes down tomorrow, we're going to give you some vinegar, something like that. And so today, mentally move to tomorrow and tell me what you taste. Go, ooh, mm. ooh, ooh, oh, they know it's going to go down, you know? Okay, now what's BRV? Binary remote viewing is one of the hardest types mm. because it's either or. It's a yes or no question. Yeah, zero or one. Digital. Yeah, that's right. Uh -huh. And then what is PRV? I forget what that one is. We never used it. I'm not sure even why it was there. It seems like it was primary remote viewing or something. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. All right. The working mode. Was Gravetable. And the other one is Hemisync from the Monroe Institute. The Gravetable. We had a room that was battleship gray, floor, ceiling, walls. The windows were painted battleship gray. The table was battleship gray. Everything in it was just totally one isolated color so that while you were sitting there, there were no distractions. And you were sort of in a deprivation tank visually. Uh, and then so Hemisync, for, for folks who don't know? Hemisync is a thing that was generated at the Monroe Institute in Virginia, where they play 
one tone into one ear and a slightly different tone into the other. And that wah, wah, wah that happens when you hear two tones, they adjust those to where it matches your brain waves. And they have found the brain waves of people in deep concentration and people who are golfers and all that. And so like on this, they would give us the one in deep concentration. You'd put the headsets on. It would entrain your brain into a method of deep concentration while you worked. And I mean, you were on target. Your brain just focused on it and everything. You know what, roughly what frequency that was? A little bit lower than alpha waves, I think they call okay. it. Alpha. Okay. So so somewhere less than eight hertz. Oh, yeah. Like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, feedback class. A is immediate feedback. B is feedback later when we get feedback. And C, I think, is no feedback at all ever. So. And, and kind of throughout your career, roughly, what was the distribution on these sorts of taskings? Were most of them kind of... B or were most of them C or was it roughly oh, equal to that? The practice sessions were B. Most all of the operational sessions were C. I don't know oh. how many times. Yeah. I don't know how many times we were told that we weren't cleared for the information we gave them. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. That that's gotta be frustrating. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Okay, but this this but was an I, operational session, though, right? I'm not sure. Uh, okay. This is type B feedback, so they probably had feedback on part of it. This was probably one of those situations where it was a preliminary target to see if we could view the thing. This was probably one of those where we were tasked to see if we could find in our remote viewing whatever it was they had. And so they would give us a target. They have feedback on something, but they have deeper questions. So they give us a preliminary target to see if we can get on the target. And then later mm-hmm. they ask us with other things. That's probably what the session was. The first or the second, just to see if, like, just to see if you were on target. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, to see if we could do it. Okay. They were all, they were always testing us. You know, we always got tested. The numbers there are the coordinates for the session. So they would give me, this is target one three six six four nine two one five two one six. Describe the target. That's all the information you'd get. The starting time up there was 14 something hours. Ending time was 1531. At the time, were these coordinates actual geospatial coordinates or did you get to the point where they were just randomly assigned numbers? They were randomly assigned numbers. They were encrypted numbers. However, these numbers went onto the project report and all that so that we could tell which sessions were done for which report. Okay. 
terminal section means that I ended in stage five and six. Highest stage was stage six. Evaluation, they didn't evaluate it. Uh, yeah, they evaluated it plus. What does that mean? That it was successful, yeah. What are yeah. the different varieties of, is it just plus or minus? Or is it? Plus, minus, plus, minus, and question mark, yeah. Okay. Uh, right. The actual site was Rendlesham Forest Incident, which I had never heard of, but at the time. But anyway, that's the cover sheet for the rest of the session. What are these initials down here? Or that's uh, that's my initials in Russian. <laughs> Any reason in Russian? I'm I'm a Russian linguist. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're oh, just being you're just being a smartass, Lynn. That's my name in Russian. Yeah, uh, Lynn. Okay. L-E-N. Fourteen oh nine hours it started. Ed was the monitor. Basically, previous indicators. No, I had no previous indicator. I walked in totally blind, and that was it. AV is, do you have anything that's bothering you that's on your mind that's going to stop the session or, you know, intrude in on the session? There was none. What does so, that mean? Just audio visuals going into the session, something like that? AV? Uh, it, it's advanced visuals, yeah. Physical, okay. physical inclemencies and advanced visuals, yeah. Um, okay, and this is, the, this is your signal line? That's the... Coordinates and an ideogram. Now, on the ideograms, for those who don't know, we train and train and train endlessly so that somebody would say water and we would make a thing like waves. Somebody would say land, we'd make that. Somebody would say space, we'd make that. And you train on that until it gets so ingrained that you do it without thinking. And in fact, one of the things we look for is where the viewer will do the ideogram or something before you say the word. And that's when you know it's, it's become automatic. So anyway, there's my thing. A is you give the shape and the feeling of that thing as your pen goes across the paper. So it goes across, it's smooth, it's rising, it's up, it's curling. And B is, we call it WAG, wild-ass guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have any guess as to what it was. I took a break and I said, this is an overriding, very smooth feeling to the whole thing. I had to back off and, and say, when I said smooth, I meant really, really, really smooth. And so I had to take a break and explain that. Took the coordinates again, rising smooth. Now, when, when, when you're going through this, Lynn, is Ed Dames in the room as a monitor, or they just put you in the room and let you no, go in this case? he's there as a monitor, but it's his job to sit there and shut up. <laughs> okay. All right. It's so he's not asking to... you questions. He's not. No. Okay. It's his job to only respond 
when I ask him for a cue. Okay. So I do the thing again, irregular. I got that it's man-made. Now, man-made doesn't necessarily mean man made by man. It means manufactured. Okay. It's not a natural object. And so I got B. I'm describing an object. Stage two, the object is smooth, it's round, it's black, it's shiny, it's smooth, it's hard. Squeak sound. Hmm. Again, I take a break. Like dry, greaseless skin on a banister, you know, when yeah. your skin squeak like that. And it was the feeling that I had rubbed my hand across it, and it was so smooth that it just squeaked as I went, you know. Next, I, I drew a sketch. I was looking down on this thing that was sort of rounded, pointed in front. And here on that wavy line that goes across, uh -huh. that's a cutaway view to the inside. And on the inside, there were these two sort of panels and an open space between them that had this red light. The surface of the thing was black, thick black walls. And come to find out later, these two rounded things that are in there seem like control panels, mm -hmm. uh, seem like controls. And anyway, I did a sketch of it. Go ahead on down. Now, this is stage four, where we separate it into the different types of information. Stage two is descriptors. D is dimensional measurements. AI is how I feel about the thing. EI is how somebody else at the site would feel about the thing. T is things. I is conceptual things like what's the purpose of it and all that. AOL is where I say, I'm analyzing this with my logical mind and it's like this or it's like something else and all that. AWOL from the signal line is where something just pops into your mind uncalled. Okay. So anyway, AI. I was there at this thing looking at it. This thing is big. It suddenly seems really huge inside okay and would, would put, you say would you say bigger on the inside than on the outside it when i went into it it seemed a lot bigger than than it had looked from the outside yeah uh-huh and okay. i don't know whether i shrunk to get inside or whether it was bigger inside anyway or or it was a portal that took you somewhere else who knows right no i was at this object, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think that the below was a cue that said, you know, dimensional, go below and go into it and see what you get. The word pudding popped into my mind. Don't know why, but you have to report it. Anytime something pops into your mind, you report it. So anyway, the descriptors over here, yellow, light, and there was some kind of noise. 
And the noise sort of reminded me over here, AOL, like a marketplace, that kind of just unintelligible noise that kept going on, you know, when you're in a marketplace, you hear everybody talking, you don't hear any words or anything like that. Yeah, it could be like chatter on, like if you're a military unit and you have three radios running and there's chatter going on. And Oh, yeah. But I wasn't hearing voices. I was just hearing uninterpretable signals. signals. Yeah. Uh-huh. Many of the noises seemed like they were of people. And I got something here again. This is an AOL slash melted into mass. Sort of like just all these people melted into a conglomerate where you couldn't pick up on any one person or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And that was the marketplace noise and the mass of people and all that. I did a sketch, and the sketch was of just mindless movement, back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. And so this mindless movement was just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and that's what this sketch shows. Go ahead on down. I took the coordinates again, across smooth, rising, hard, man-made, again, got no interpretation of what it was. So went in, I don't know what it is, but it's black, it's dark, it's round, it's long, and there are multiple round things. Now I'm on the inside of it now, okay? There was a wooden taste, it will break like ornate wood in a church. This wood thing that I got seemed like there were carvings and very ornate, intricate symbols or whatever that was on it. Well, there's and, like Bent Waters, Rendlesham, and then there was Woodbridge was part of that area, right? Uh, yeah, but I was inside looking at things. And I was seeing these ornate symbols, carvings in the wall or whatever. Went back into stage four. The black part is round and knobby. It's an object. AOL, kind of like tires or something. Black, round, knobby tires. Okay, cue with the object again. It's dark, it's rounded, it's hollow, it's dark, and it's open. So move into the object and see what is perceivable okay it's black it's reddish brown dull dim curved ai break that's my feeling okay my feeling about it it's all curves nothing is straight you know Mm -hmm. and then i got that it was the dimensional it was empty and the things i identified it as some kind of a passage a passageway AOL break, it was seldom used, special purpose, not public, and AOL break again, okay? And in this passage, see these two sort of sharply rounded things? Mm -hmm. That was a wall, and this outer rim was the passage that took me past this rounded wall 
over to a side, and there where it says A on it, mm -hmm. go ahead on down. Okay, I Q with point A. Tell me about point A. Well, it's gray. I think it's hard. It's dark. It's a AOL break. I think it's a metal door. Okay, AOL break, underground workplace. It struck me like an underground workplace. Okay, so mm -hmm. I'm not saying it was underground. I'm saying the atmosphere here was like a underground workplace. It was closed in, very tight and all that. So cued with A again is dark gray, black and noisy and closed. And uh, that it was at the end of this passageway. So AOL, I got a package of information about a place restricted area from people who want to use it but it's only a fake anyway, as an escape route, which leads to nowhere. Okay. And that was my feeling about this door that I saw, that it was a passageway that doesn't really lead to anywhere. Go ahead on down. So I said, okay, the object, describe more about the interior. It's dark, it's noisy, it's empty, fail or break. I'm too high. I'm too tall. There are no people here. The owners I queued with hard fear, unconcern, and busyness is their feeling about this place. The, describe the location. It's white. It's like green. It's domed. It's curved. It's cold. Comfortable. And then I said, okay, if there's a person there, describe the person. And I got neutral content. Mm -hmm. uh, four and a half was where you break into paragraphs instead of single words. People seem to be inside the object, but when I look for them, they're somewhere else. And what I got on this was the feeling that there were consciousness people's consciousness in here, like they knew what was going on here, but these people were somewhere way far away. And that's where I got the AOL break of, I think I'm talking about ETs. Mm -hmm. And come to find out I was. <laughs> yes. uh, so describe them. Young person, the person is green, <laughs> is thin, is frail, is hot. I took a break from 1444 to 1451 just to get my mind off things. Came back and cued with the place. Tell me about the place with the yellow light. Well, it's curved, it's domed, it's big, it's roomy, it's yellow, it's hot, it's moist, surrounded by all of the rest of this ship. It's solid and AOL break. It reminds me of an incubator. Okay. In terms of temperature, moist. In terms of temperature, moist, and all of that. Yeah. Follow the people back to the source. Okay. The source was curved, 
the, well, the people, okay, the source was curved, curved and a strong pain, a feeling of in the dimensions column, okay, in the D column. I cued with a source. The source is green, cool, calm, closed, and round. Hard feelings. Feelings. I've got forests and woods, open areas. The people I got were looking for a living place. And that had mm. something to do with this place that had the yellow light. This place was bumpy still and all run together, pushed together, accued with a person. There was a skin feel soft and frail, and they were waiting to leave, as I remember the rest of it, to find a new home. Okay. Waiting uh, to leave the... Wherever they are. I don't know. Okay. But they're not in the ship. They just know what's going on in the ship. But they're somewhere else waiting to leave to find a new home. So I said, home. The home they're looking for is green, hot, wet, and quiet. Okay. You, how can we talk to them? Perception that he has been subjected to sounds of such density for so long that touch is a better communication device than sound. So touch works. And this is where evidently the guy touched the ship and got this whole download of information. And the purpose for this is their destiny. And their destiny as it is, is dry, hard, bare, cold, very reddish desert, vague visual as though this was a location, but not what they wanted. Okay. So I think that's where they are. AOL question mark. I got a feeling that they are waiting until conditions are right to leave or to escape this object. Maybe from this incubator type thing. Exit from the object leads to nowhere. But they're waiting for something that never comes. And so this ship seemed to be looking for a place that it never found. Once it finds it, whatever's in that room that leads to nowhere, they will come out. Conditions were needed in order for this to happen. They have to find a place that's green, warm, and wet. AI break reminds me of worms. Livable conditions. And at that point, I think Ed called time and site end was 1531. Is there anything further down beyond that? I forget. I, I think this oh. is just. Yeah, that's all. Okay. Yeah. That's. Now there is a. So if you have 10, 9, 8, 6. Yeah. What happened to page 7? Uh, go back to page 6 and to the end of page 6. Oh. Oh. People seem to be inside this object, but when I look for them, they seem somewhere else. ETs, as I remember, 
this was a long time ago. As I remember, I looked to see where they were, and I got that they were, you know, just extremely far distant, and that this was a controlled ship that they were controlling. They knew what was going on inside of it and that it was remote control. And at that point, I think, as I remember, I went back to the control panel and started describing the control panel. So that page was, I don't know where it's just missing or whether it was taken out or what. Would there be any reason to take it out or is it just a bureaucratic error? There would be a reason to take this out, yeah. Uh-huh. What do you think that reason is? The control panel. Interesting. Was the control panel similar to the control panel you've seen in the past? Yeah. Particularly uh-huh. in your in that incident you had in Texas, the, the yes. abduction experience? Yeah. Uh-huh. Did it look the same or like with the handprint? No, it, it, was was it? Diff- it was different, but by looking at the control panel, you could tell a lot about how it was controlled. Yeah. So it sounds like this thing was a probe of some sort, and whatever Senate was looking for a new home. Would that be accurate? Yeah, but if that was an incubator, then they were looking at a new home for their progeny, not for themselves. And the progeny may have been some sort of, I don't know, seeds or something that are in that, at the end of that corridor somehow. The impression I got was like, it's an AOL, it reminds me of worms. Yeah. Uh Interesting. Okay. Now... You got no feedback from this whatsoever. Did you get anything indirectly? Well, the thing that was down there at the bottom was added. I never saw that until you sent me this thing from the CIA. Let's take a look at it. Okay, so I think this this is an account. Does it say 215? Hold on. Let's see. Let's see if my all the synchronicities that have been happening to me are. Okay. This is above top, top, top secret. secret. Okay. I doubt. I mean, look. It would the the coincidence on this would have to be through the roof for me to <laughs> randomly. No, I don't think it is. So two twelve. And this would be near the end of the book, so because it, it's conclusion, who goes there? Yeah, it's definitely not. It's definitely not in this book. But, but it is about bent waters. Let's see if there's anything. Yeah, I'm try I, to skip. I don't think I, I don't think I ever got any feedback, actually, until you sent me this thing that you'd found. In CIA files. Oh, well, other people found it before me. All I needed was this code to oh, find yeah. it again. <laughs> so, 
I just didn't, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll stop it. There were a point, lot of but... things. Like one time I got a, uh, a task and target was the location, described the location. And what I got was red sand as far as you can see, you know, just sandy as far as you can see, big lumps of rocks and all that. And that there was a manufactured scoop sticking out of the sand. And, you know, just a scoop like this. And 12 years later, I got feedback in the mail that was sent to me personally. This is after I was out of service of a place on Mars where the Mars rover has found a scoop sticking up out of the sand. Wow. Yeah, I don't know what publication this is. I guess I don't either. But there are other aspects of the case that are much more similar to what you were talking about. Like it was a black craft. I think it was triangular shaped, but it was. That's what I got. It was not, it was triangular shaped, but the front was sort of rounded off. Uh, I've That's seen right. Sketches. I've seen sketches since then of the thing where it shows the front of it is being pointed. I got it that it was smooth and rounded off. Yeah, and I think that's what the pictures I've seen of it. And I'll, when I process this episode, I'll include some of what this okay. looks like. But, but yeah, this isn't. And then I'll also integrate Colonel Holt's testimony because again, you can find that easily on the internet as he recorded his impressions. What did so, he find? I think he reported seeing the craft take off. He oh, report- he was there visually, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was out because he, he got called out. He's a lieutenant colonel at the time, and they oh, okay. called yeah. him out. So he was recording his impressions. I don't know if he actually touched the craft. I know one of his, or one of the soldiers, not soldiers, but one of the airmen, one of the security guards definitely did. Yeah, he also had this huge download of information. Yeah. They also sketched some of the symbology oh, that okay. was on the craft. So that was the circle with the triangle inside it, which again is similar to the insignia that Chris Bledsoe saw recently on the beings that he encountered. I mean, it could just be a random coincidence, but who knows? So, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff with this case. And then the other piece was... I think they were storing. Did you get any perceptions of nuclear weapons, things like that, or kind of new no, stuff? I got that this was definitely a probe ship that was looking for the right place and that it was not an attack thing or anything like that. It was just a ship that was looking for a place that was just right and hadn't found it you know yeah i I wonder if the pudding thing has anything to do with the worms that could be yeah like worms in the dirt yeah Mm -hmm. any feelings either way fear happiness no anything that uh, went there no i i got the feeling you know as i walked down that corridor that it was just 
empty. I could feel the presence of people there, but there were no people there. And, you know, for me, the perception of ETs, I mean, I've done a lot of these. To me, I perceive them as just more people. Right. And, and you know, they have different bodies, totally different species, but to me, they're just, they're just more people, you know? And you go describing them. Oh, yeah, this person's very short, spindly, big head, olive eyes, you know, gray skin. Yeah, this guy. (laughs) And so I don't perceive even that they're ETs until I start describing them. To me, they're just somebody else. Did you ever describe with the beings on that or beings associated with that craft? look like no ed cut this session off for some reason i could have gone 40 more pages on this i'm not sure why he cut the session off this is one of the reasons why i say it was probably just the first prove that you can do it and then we'll task you the real stuff later you know did they ever task you with anything subsequent to that i don't know we were always blind hmm that's the thing, you know, I don't know how many times I, I would sit at my desk and think, what am I doing here? You know, I never know what I'm tasked with. I just sit down and do these crazy sessions and turn it in and it disappears into that warehouse at the end of the Indiana Jones movie, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, and you Yeah, know, you have no idea. I mean, do you have any indication of whether or not I mean, now you do, but back then, what your hit rate was, and because you don't oh, need to know yeah. what the targets were. Yeah, we would get feedback in in different formats. I kept the database, and we had a very high success rate. Now, one time we did a two-month study on practice targets that we knew the feedback for, had full feedback on, see how the viewers did and all that. The average success rate was 72.8% accurate. Now, that went from all the way around 60% all the way up to 99%. But the average of it wound up right at about 78% accurate. And, you know, that kind of accuracy, you can't even get with spy-in-the-sky satellites. So you can't get that with the the best-performing hedge funds on the planet either. No, you can't. Interesting. Do you have any indication of why Dames would have given this one to you? Well, he was always giving us practice targets of ET situations, ET sightings, and, you know, UFO sightings and all this. He was banned from doing that, (laughs) but he did it anyway. And so most of those were thrown out. The ones that were kept... I think were had official tasking behind them. Yeah. But I mean, he would hear about some UFO sighting and he would task us with it, you know, just to see what we could find. And I found out one day that evidently after he got off work, he would head off in a different direction every now and then. And evidently he was taking these and reporting what we found on those to somebody. 
we never found out who. Not somebody in our unit. Who do you think the candidates were in terms of agencies? Or was it an agency that is just, no, we don't know exists? Three-letter agency with all the letters being silent letters. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What do you mean by silent letters? You don't... You're like a silent letter in a word. You just don't say it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Anything else that you want to talk about in this particular target? On this one? No, I was very surprised when I saw it. I would forgotten all about it. And I had to sit there and go through the session to relive it. And, yeah, I'm glad you sent it to me. I do not focus on ET stuff. I get a lot of it. Now, we do, my company, Problem Solutions Innovations, we do a lot of moon research, space research, you know, those type of remote viewing projects for space research companies, moon development companies, and all that. So... But as far as, you know, just ET sightings, I have a stack of targets that I would like to do because they're interesting to me. And another stack of targets that I keep right beside it of missing children. Mm. And I will never get to the ones I want to do. Yeah, yeah, I get to the missing children first. Yeah. And the the moon. What's on that? What's on that? It's on the far side of the moon. <laughs> oh, there are, there are structures. They're there, structures and development. And yeah, it's there. Is there anything on the visible side? And when I say visible, I mean that we somebody could just pull a telescope out and look at it. I think yes. I'm not that certain, but I think yes. Because I know that one, I was doing present time, and it was a full moon. And in the viewing, present time, I was getting harsh, bright, burning sunshine. Yeah. So there's evidently something on that side. Now, there's that crashed ship that's there. And what was it? What were the moon moon missions called? The Apollo missions, or uh, I think it was Apollo twenty. And I got did they did they do that? I thought they oh, thought they ended in like. I was up at the space museum one time, and I had my patch that I got from them, Apollo twenty, and the expert up there saw it, and he just went ballistic. He said, "That's fake." There were only 17. Yes, that's a lie and, and all this. And I said, well, it was secret. And he said, I would know about it. I said, what don't you understand about the word secret? <laughs> yeah, I think. Let's see. Yeah, according to the the Internet, Apollo oh, the 17, internet, yeah. 
the oh, internet the ultimate, uh, the ultimate authority yeah uh, apollo 17 was the last so apollo 20. yeah interesting but there was a very ancient ancient crashed ship that they found yeah they i mean we covered anything from it i don't know oh i was just tasked tasked with viewing it viewing the inside and viewing how it came about to be there how it came about to be crashed and all that i turned the report in and i haven't heard well, any feedback can you say more about it you know fully understanding that you had no feedback so it's hard to tell if this is yeah. it was very ancient huge i mean extremely huge and one end of it in fact is raised up off the ground it's in a little crevice between two sharp mountains or hillocks and the front end of it is raised up off the ground you can see it it's rounded they have close-up pictures of it who's they the people who tasked me okay all right answer okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry no you're sharp you you, you catch me every time <laughs> I, I can always try but i'm not gonna okay so the, like how did it crash what's the story behind that i got that it was just basically pilot error that something went wrong and they couldn't recover from it and it just crashed but the timeline on crash was like 10 centuries ago. So you're talking like, let's see. I'm trying to think what happened in the 1300s. Well, uh, you're like Crusades. You're like kind of that to well, the time I period. I did get feedback on that. They said it was more like 10,000 years ago, but I got 10 centuries so and did you get a sense for where the origin of the the ship was like could no. it have been from earth oh no no uh, okay i don't think so no well ten thousand, maybe twelve thousand years ago for all we know there might have been a, a civilization before the the one that modern human history that i kind of believe that's true yeah mm -hmm. Now, whether or not it was advanced enough to produce a ship like that, yeah. probably doubtful, but who knows? And then what happened to the survivors? They just all died? Yeah. Did you, view, did you view occupants at all? Did you get a description of occupants? I did. And I saw a picture one time of sort of a mummified occupant that was supposedly in the thing i'm not sure it wasn't just a photoshopped thing it struck me as being maybe a little bit of false information i don't know well there's a lot of that which is why oh yeah you have to be extremely careful of oh yeah mm -hmm. what we but, uh, what we take but you know if it ever comes out that it was there then they're going to have to have some kind of spin to put on it so i don't know 
I'm surprised more of this hasn't come. I mean, I, I think people just aren't buying te- like individual telescopes and things like that. They're just not looking up at the moon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. I have a random viewer question that I wanted to ask you that kind okay. of came in today. It, it's going to come out of left field, but let's just see what you have to say about it. Are you, are you familiar with Dean Radin? The, oh, yeah. Dean's a great guy. Yeah. So he has a book. I, I, I can't remember exactly what the title is. It's about magic and this and that but what do you think i think he does is he goes through psi phenomena he's a very serious yeah. guy phd oh he like, is. yeah and he has i think he has a theory of three types of psi phenomena which he i guess he calls magic but it's really psi phenomena there's yeah a divination which is essentially you could put remote viewing in that category you could probably put the I Ching in that category i guess yeah did I ever tell you about Philip K. Dick, what he used to do? No, huh? So I interviewed Tim Powers, who was friends with him. And he would use the I Ching or the I Ching to make life decisions. Uh-huh. And he would ask it questions. And when he got, it was so accurate for him that when he got answers he didn't want to hear, he mm-hmm. would make the, he would, he, you know, he would make the I Ching sleep outside. Uh, so he's a he's a a weird guy he's a weird guy but he also used to when he wrote the man in the high castle he used the I Ching to develop plot points he would ask it oh really about different characters and things like that but anyway that I mean he's an extraordinary author in terms of being pre I don't want to say precognitive but some of the visions that he's had are effectively happening uh, but anyway, I always, I always thought those were just talisman, you know, and and never put that much faith in them. But one time, Mel Riley brought his runes to work, and I said, "Okay, we'll test this out," you know. And I asked several questions, and the answers that came up were just so totally accurate. I was just, I was amazed. I mean, I think a lot of it is. Remote viewing is very specific, has a very specific protocol, but I think like anything else, it's a way to organize a natural talent that can be accessed in various ways. But anyway, getting back to the question, I'm I'm getting way way too far afield. (laughs) So he has divination, then he has will, and I think will is like, you know, psi, that sort of thing. And then the last part is theurgy which is you can probably you can throw channeling it it's intervention by some entity outside of yourself yeah so given those spirit guides things like that yeah Mm -hmm. would you say that's accurate or is there something is there like an accurate characterization or is there other things that might be included his three divisions yeah yeah absolutely Uh all right all right i think we covered a lot my friend is there anything else you want to add how's the remote viewing ranch going oh um thanks to people's donations we now have water and electricity at the ranch we have a person who's coming in to grade that two mile road that goes from the highway to it because right now it's totally impassable and we're still trying to get the money to help pay for that We've also got a contractor who has come and we've made the plans for the 
training and research building that's going to be inside of that Quonset hut. The Quonset hut provides a Faraday cage. It also provides insulation because we'll have an insulated room inside that Quonset hut and it'll have the airspace on all different sides for insulation. The floor on it is five inch thick runway, airplane runway. Like tarmac. Yeah. And I mean, solid. And there's no sound out there. It's just the quiet is so strong, you can almost hear it. You can almost hear the silence is that strong and no traffic, no anything is beautiful place. Yeah. And so we're, we're working on it. We're getting it fixed, but we're very dependent on at this point on donations. I bought the place and that maxed me out. <laughs> you know, that wiped me out financially. So now then we're dependent on donations to help get this going, but we're doing research on demographics. Do we have time for me to mention that? Absolutely. Okay. Do you know what an area book is? State Department area book? I'm, I'm guessing it's like, if you're going to go to a particular country, it's everything about it. Demographics, economics. About it, it's like it it's like the CIA World Factbook, except for a specific location. A certain country and a certain society, yeah. And that way, an ambassador going there doesn't do something stupid and start a war. And one of the space agencies that had us do a demographic on a star that they said they needed information about soon <laughs> and they didn't want their astronauts going there and starting an interplanetary war or something and so we did it we found a society that was on the second planet out from the star that is fairly low iq if you wanted a physical description, they would look like Sasquatch. They're all hairy beings and all this. Uh, fairly low IQ. They have everything provided by another race that comes in from somewhere else to give them homes and, and all this and training and all. And their job is to get raw materials out of the ground that these outsiders come in, take out to the fifth planet, for automatic purification of the ore and all this other stuff. And so we did this demographic and it dawned on me, the ETs are here, but you know, the ETs are going to filter into our society. And so we can do demographics on the ETs and on our society, lay one over the other and where the areas match, there's going to be cooperation between the two cultures. Where they don't match, there's going to be conflict. And like for the people coming across the border now here, just thousands of people coming across the border, 
Some of them are going to New York City. Some of them are going to the Deep South. Some of them are going to Florida and all this. And for the police, we're capable of taking a look at their demographic that they're from, show where they're taken to, and the police will know exactly what conflicts are going to take place. Realtors, ministers, businesses, and all that will know where the cooperation is going to be, will know how to tailor their advertising to them so that it matches their demographic instead of the demographic they're coming into. And we're training people doing this by giving demographics that we know and taking data, training people to do this. And when the ETs come here or when we go there, do our demographic, their demographic, lay them on top of each other and know exactly where the conflict is going to be, where the cooperation is going to be and all that. And so that's one of the research projects we're doing. And it has, you know, not just ET implications, but also just our social implications. So here's something interesting. Now, I know you can't talk about which system it is, but there's a chance I'm, I may have been able to intuit it. May probably not, but so there's a book that my publisher put out. It's an anthology. It's called the Ross 248 Project. Okay. Now, okay. Ross 248, it's, it's like 30 light years away, I think, but it's yep. moving toward us. And yep. in like 30,000 years, it'll be like three light years away or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, there were two anthologists who were producing it. And one of them is a NASA scientist. And the reason that he picked the Ross 248 system or star was because it is the closest potentially to one that's much closer. And that's Trappist one and Trappist one has regardless, the point of the anthology is to look at how the colonization of that world would proceed on different worlds of different, of similar size and composition. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think Trappist one is probably close enough now for the web telescope to see but i'll leave it at that i'll leave it at that <laughs> there's a lot of research going on that never makes it into the news yeah and it's done in ways that are hiding in plain sight sometimes yeah oh yeah oh uh, you know the the four principles of interrogation no uh, i don't apply to anybody looking at the news. You pay attention to what they say. You pay attention to what they don't say. You pay attention to how they say what they say. And you pay attention to how they go about not saying what they don't say. <laughs> you get those four things, you're a good interrogator. Yeah. And you look at the news the average person looks at the news. What are they saying? What are they not saying? How are they saying it? How are they going about not saying it? Look at the structure of the sentence. It'll tell you how they're going about not saying it. Yeah. So how do you think this disclosure process unfolds in the next 
if it does, because this has happened. We've seen this movie before where there's a lot of hubbub and nothing. Do you think there's smoke in the fire or do you think there's no fire? Oh, I think there's fire. Lots of smoke, a little bit of fire, and the fire will go to basically the people who can use it the most. And the smoke will be what everybody else gets to breathe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we might see something, but we're not going to... It might be, yes, there's non-intelligent... Or sorry, non-intelligent. There's non-human intelligent life. We know it's visited the planet, et cetera, but that's all you're oh, yeah. going to get. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, it is visiting now, too. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, may even be lives here, but... Oh, yeah. You know. All right, my friend. I look, always look forward to these discussions because I yeah. learn a lot every time. So yeah, I appreciate We're doing it. a lot that we don't talk about, mainly because we have non-disclosure agreements and all that. So, you know, but interesting stuff going on these days. You know, may you live in interesting times is not necessarily a curse. Well, yes and no. Spe speaking of which, it might be tangentially related to disclosure, but it's it's really not. Given your understanding of Russian language and things like that, you see, you see what's been. So we had, uh, I think the Russians like shelled Eve. So then Ukrainians droned a residential area in Moscow, and now I think Putin has publicly stated that the tac nukes are already on the ground in Belarus. So that's the part of the interesting time that is a, a curse. But have you picked up anything on Russian TV that outside of our own little echo chamber, echo propaganda chamber in the U.S.? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a propaganda you know, chamber over there, but it's a different propaganda chamber. You know, so I'll watch Russian TV. I get it live. Right. And yeah, there was a guy being interviewed, a, a top scientist over there is being interviewed, and he was drunk. I mean, he was, he was, oh, he was Dean Martin drunk, you know? And, oh, is this uh, the earthquake, earthquake weapon thing? And he was bragging about the earthquake weapon that they have and bragged that they caused Fukushima as a test of their weapon. And so, you know, we have weather weapons, they have earthquake weapons and all that. And at some point, it'll get to where we don't need bombs and planes and tanks and guns anymore. You know, hey, cause an earthquake in Yellowstone Park. Take out half the U.S. Cause an earthquake on Canary Island. Take out the east coast of the United States. You know, and us, we can cause a drought. We can cause flooding. You know, and... Yeah, it, it will get to the point where war as we know it is just an old-fashioned thing, you know. I hope it never gets there, but it will. Well, I, I hope. <laughs> we may have the capability, but I hope they... I, I mean, there was a guy on Russian television who was... What is it, Sokolov? Or I, I can't remember what the guy's name is, but he was... You know, he's talking about using a Poseidon, you know, or oh, yeah. using the... Poseidon against the British yeah. islands or British Isles. Like, I mean, like, hey, man, you know, they have nukes too. Like, what, oh, yeah. what are you doing? Sure they do. Yeah. So, 
hopefully better or, or calmer heads prevail, but I'm, I'm not. Well, when they don't, usually they prevail once it's too late, once the disaster that's so unbelievable happens, that's when the cooler heads will start prevailing. But it takes disaster to do it, you know. Well, hopefully, if it's going to start, hopefully it's just a tack nuke and not a strategic nuke. Yeah. And, of course, you've got that level of the wealth of society who say, you know, never let a good disaster go to waste. We can make money off this, you know. So. Well, let's hopefully get disclosure and then we can start looking outward as, 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 instead of so. kind of. Yeah. But all right, my friend. As always, pleasure. Good talking to you. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new. Oh,